This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. You know, I feel an affinity for people who've tried and either succeeded or failed. It doesn't matter to me. A bunch of different things in their lifetimes. These are people, I guess, who've tried on different hats. Someone like my guest this week, for some fraction of her current daily life, runs an operation on Bloomington's near South Side, an operation with a name that just might imply a different end than what it really does. And I know she's going to explain that all to us. This is Jessica Marchbank. Jessica, hello. Hello. Jessica is the manager of All Options. Uh, It's a pregnancy resource center. She's an audiobook narrator. She has been in her storied past. (laughs) Uh, a tour guide, an outhouse archaeologist. Jessica, I have to admit, the first time I heard the name All Options, I thought this operation was one of those places that for religious reasons or so-called moral reasons was going to try to talk people out of getting abortions. Turns out that's not the case. Not that you talk people into getting abortions, (laughs) but why don't you tell us what all options does. Sure. And that is a common misconception that I think some folks have when they see our name, because there are a lot of crisis pregnancy centers and anti-choice places that have co-opted the word options and twisted it around just a little bit. When we say options, we really mean them. And the the logo for all options actually has underneath the the rainbow fan, it says abortion, adoption, parenting, pregnancy. They all carry equal weight with us and we don't have a stake in the outcome of a pregnancy. We are here to support both with actual support and and peer counseling and guidance and non-judgmental support, but also with dollars, whether someone wants to be a parent or whether someone wants to have an abortion. And we actually help them obtain what they need. We are active in the reproductive justice movement, and we want to see a world where people can make the choices that are best for them. But right now, unfortunately, there are so many barriers around really all of it. (laughs) There are barriers to being a parent. There are many, many barriers also to obtaining an abortion. Before I came to Indiana and before I came to All Options, I had no idea how hard it was to actually get an abortion. I thought, hey, it's legal. What's the big deal? While it is technically legal, different states have different barriers in place. Um, Of course, Texas is very much in the news right now, but Indiana has its own barriers that are there to make it harder for people to actually access the full range of their options. We are here to help people access anything that they can legally do. We want to make it safe and affordable for them as well. You're the head person of this local office here. 
we are a national organization. So I am, I am in charge of the local center and primarily the main thrust of my job is to manage the, the operations at the, the local facility, the center, but also to manage the Hoosier diaper fund. And that mm. is my baby. So under our roof here, I still talk as if we are a physical place that people can walk into. And unfortunately, we are not, not since March of 2020. But you used to be. We, yeah, we used to be open to the public. People would walk in. But I am actually really proud to say that not only are we still doing all of the things that we did when we were open to the public, we're doing them better, actually. <laughs> Under our roof, we have the Hoosier Diaper Program, which supplies diapers, wipes, period products, lots of hygiene stuff, a lot of miscellaneous necessities when you have a baby or a toddler. And we currently distribute about 10,000 diapers every month to local families in October. Yeah. In October, we had 110 families that we helped um, supporting about 160 individual children. And uh, we did that all contact free under our roof. We also have the Hoosier abortion fund, which helps basically pay for abortion funding, mostly for Hoosiers. They have to either be living in the state of Indiana or getting an abortion in the state of Indiana. Now let's clear this up. Mm -hmm. If a person comes in, do you try to steer that person in any direction? Absolutely not. No, that is not what we do. We trust people to know their own minds. We do have people sometimes who are not sure and that's okay. A lot of us have been in that position before, But as I said before, we don't have a stake in the outcome of a pregnancy. That's not our business. So we do have a national talk line that actually today is the 17th anniversary of the national talk line. Yeah. So for 17 years, we've been getting calls from all over the country. The talk line is staffed by advocates who have gone through a 40-hour intensive peer counseling program uh, that we do. And um, they are well-versed in talking with people through pregnancy loss, miscarriages, uh, infertility, pre- and post-abortion, just parenting, because that alone is, is hard. And we do get a lot of calls from people who aren't sure what they want to do, but we do not help them make decisions. You know, we offer f- fact-based information. We are very careful not to steer people in any direction because we trust people to know what they need. When, when we were open to the public and we had someone come in and take a pregnancy test and then immediately just kind of start freaking out, the human in us always wants to make suggestions. We have to kind of set that part of us aside. It, it takes practice and it takes some training too. Now, All Options is at 1014 South Walnut Street. Again, don't go there because they're not open uh, to the public anymore just because of the pandemic. It's a national organization. You can get to uh, All Options at all-options.org. That's for the national outfit. Mm -hmm. That's right. And how, how do we contact the local operation? Sure. So the All Options Pregnancy Resource Center has its own website, which is alloptionsprc.org. People can either call or text to 812-558-0089. 
You uh, mentioned the national talk line. The all options talk line is 1-888-493-0092. All options opened in 2015. Yeah, the local resource center. Um, I always keep track of it because we opened the same month that my younger son was born. So whenever someone asks how long we've been around, I just think, how old is my kid? Yeah. (laughs) Would it have been conceivable that were all options there when this little guy was coming along? Would you have thought of coming to all options and say, what help can you give me? Well, I was lucky enough to be in a position that I could afford diapers. I could afford the necessities. And I was also ignorant enough to assume that if people couldn't afford diapers, that there was some sort of public aid. Like, why couldn't they get diapers with food stamps? Makes sense, right? Right. Or, or why wouldn't they get diapers through WIC, which provides formula? And I did not know until I started working here that, in fact, there is no public aid that covers diapers. Diapers for a newborn can run 80 bucks to 100 bucks a month for each now, kid. What kind of diapers are people using these days? Now, when I was a little, little, little kid, I had some older sisters. They had some kids and there were these big cloth things with gigantic safety pins. that had, And their rubber pants. <laughs> I was scared to death that the kids were going to get jabbed with those pins. What are people using? Well, some people are still using cloth diapers. And uh-huh. um, and also, I can guarantee that somebody got stuck with those pins. Oh, I remember that from my childhood, too. We actually do have a cloth diaper lending program here. Lots of folks are still using cloth diapers. But in order to use cloth diapers or reusable diapers, there's pretty much no getting around owning a washing machine and dryer Ay-ay-ay. and having... Uh, quite a bit of disposable time for all of the laundering that's involved. Most of the folks in our program, they do work and they do not have time to be (laughs) doing laundry every two days for cloth diapers. The majority of people use disposable diapers. And yes, there are environmental concerns with that. I had those concerns when my kids were little, but I, I started doing some research and I I know that a lot of folks feel like disposable diapers are far inferior, environmentally speaking, to cloth diapers. But actually, by the time you factor in the products that are sold, the the cloth diapers themselves, and then all of the laundering that's involved, Uh it's modern diapers these days, it's almost even in terms of using cloth versus disposables. Because you're throwing a lot of detergent into the water table and Mm -hmm. so forth. You're using a lot of water. You're using energy in the form of heat or if you're using a dryer. Well, as I say, uh, Jessica Marchbank, uh, Mm -hmm. the manager of all options, the local office here in Bloomington. I mentioned that she was an audiobook narrator, a tour guide, an outhouse (laughs) archaeologist. She reminds me that she, too, is a mother. I guess so. That's what they tell me. (laughs) Well, these kids keep showing up at my house demanding to be fed and clothed. So how did you get into being where you are as the point person at all options? Well, I actually, uh, I moved to Bloomington when my now six-year-old was 10 days old. Wow. Mm -hmm. My older son was nine and a half. We moved to Bloomington from a 
tiny little town in Northern Illinois. And we moved to Bloomington and I fell in love with Bloomington. It is a fantastic place to raise children. Uh And I got really involved in some local mom type groups. And we were privileged enough at that time that I I didn't have to work. We were able to, to get by on my then husband's income. When my son was a, about a year old, a friend of mine texted me and said, I saw this job and I really think it sounds like you. And I was like, well, I don't know that I really want a job, <laughs> which is the first time in my life I've ever been able to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and probably the last time <laughs> I kind of want to punch that former me like, oh, I'm not sure if I want a job, Um, but I clicked on the link she sent me and it sent me to this all options. And I read about the place and I I still remember how I went from being like, I'm just doing this to be polite to, oh my gosh, I didn't know a place like this existed. And then I read the job description and it did in, in fact sound like me. So I went from like, oh, I don't know if I really want a job to I have to work there. And if they don't hire me, then I think I have to volunteer there. It, it was such a, it felt like the closest thing to a calling I had ever had at that point. And so I applied for the job and I went through all the interviews and I got hired. So I started in April of 2017 and it was pretty much love at first sight. And I pretty quickly went from just my kind of narrow operations position to um, I built us a custom database because I really like techie things. And so I learned how to use this new software and I knew exactly what we needed. And so I revamped how we handled our client system. And then uh, eventually I think I became the manager in 2019. Now you mentioned that you had come from a small town in Illinois Mm-hmm. Uh, long before that, you had grown up in a in a reasonably small town in Missouri, in an area that I have learned, Jessica Marchbank, is called Little Dixie. Did you oh. know that about your area? Uh, I did not know that specifically, but it does not surprise me. It was it was nor the area. Does it excite me. It was the area of Missouri uh, where they wanted uh, the freedom to have slaves, which is uh, the oddest contradictory thing I've ever said. They Uh, sure did. Um, In any case, it's also the hometown of Jesse James. Jesse James. James. Wow. Now, what does that have to do with you? Well, I grew up exactly two miles from the Jesse James Birthplace Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also happens to be just setting Jesse James as a historical figure aside. The home in which he was born was one of the earliest homes built in the county. It was built in 1822. Oh. I could almost give the Jesse James tour <laughs> right now, even though it's been at least 20 years since I've given it. So, there was a museum established about the James gang, specifically about Jesse James, but a lot about the family too. And when I was a teenager, I wanted a job, but I didn't want to drive. And my parents were like, well, that's great. If you want a job, then you're going to have to walk there. So I walked myself over to the Jesse James Museum and I said, I'm Jesse. 
because I, I did go by Jesse in those days and they hired me as a tour guide and I worked there throughout my high school years and a few years after college too, just on and off as a tour guide or technically the term was historical interpreter. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Let's be sophisticated. Mm-hmm. That must have been fun because people are on vacation. Yeah, they are. Uh, we used to call them terrorists. <laughs> the tourists. Ooh, the people that you were giving uh, the tours to? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my golly. Yeah. I mean, it was a really good job for a shy teenager. Yeah. And there's nothing to snap you out of your shyness, like standing in front of a group of strangers and getting them to pay attention to you for 20 minutes to an hour. I got to be pretty good at being a tour guide. Uh, I wanted it to sound natural, like I wasn't reading a text. And I got pretty good at reading people's signals. And okay, I can see when we need to just move to the next room because you do not care about this carpet. (laughs) (laughs) But then some tourists, they wanted to know every single detail. And that tour would last 90 minutes. Wow. This job sounds like you got finished with your day of work and you were relatively clean. Another job you had, uh, I think, entailed a little bit of soiling of the hands, or at least <laughs> soiling of gloves, I should hope. Privy digging. digging and outhouse yeah. archaeology. Right. Uh, Jessica, I have no idea. Fill me in. Oh, <laughs> well, that is uh, that actually happened later in Illinois, uh, oh. in this very small little town, but not something that I was familiar with. I was working in a museum that had... Uh, one of the exhibits was actually called Outhouse Treasures. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a great exhibit. And it was entirely like this entire room was just from floor to ceiling. It was items that had been excavated from previous outhouses. And then oh, sometimes oh, wait a minute. pieced together. Wait, I'm under the impression that basically... One thing, well, okay, two things go into (laughs) the bottom of an outhouse. Right. (laughs) What are you talking about, woman? (laughs) Well, think about what what life might have been like in the 17 and 1800s, or even in the early 1900s before everyone had indoor plumbing. A typical outhouse would consist of a pit that they would dig depending on the size of the pit and the family, it might go down six or 10 feet. There was no regular garbage collection, right? People did have glass medicine bottles, which Ah. have become highly collectible and sometimes very valuable. Their china, their toys were often made of china or or brass or iron. And if something broke, where did you put it? Yeah. You take your visit to the outhouse and you just throw some extra things in there. And then after a certain number of years, the contents of the pit would, it just turns into compost. Everyone knows Uh what compost is in Bloomington. Sure, sure. (laughs) And then people like me would come along and we would, we would, uh, there's actually a, a special tool whose name is evading me right now. It looks like a giant like a T-pin, except it's yeah. like six feet long. Um, it's a how, many, probe. How, how many feet long? Six to eight feet. Six it's called a, a privy probe. I, I, would have, I would have preferred 16 to 18 or, <laughs> or maybe 160 to 180. But yes, right. go on. Well, a, a privy probe helps folks figure out exactly where to dig. And 
sometimes the historical record will actually have, like you look up an old plat map from 1856 and sometimes an outhouse will be marked on it. So sometimes you would know exactly where to dig. Other times we'd go to like an old farm and we'd have to figure out where do we think the original pit was? And often there would be multiple pits because once one pit fills up, they would pick up the the house and they'd move it to a new pit and they'd fill in the old one. So really by the time in, you know, in the 2000s, we'd be digging things up and no, it wasn't smelly. It was just dirt. My very favorite dig, uh, I'll have to send you a picture because I'm in the pit (laughs) barefoot. I don't recommend that actually. (laughs) No no. one should ever. And I'm about six feet. Like you just see my head (laughs) out of the pit. Uh But I found the original privy that was associated with a family that had built this house. Um, the house had been on the Underground Railroad, and uh, we knew so much about the family. So finding their original privy pit was super exciting, to me at least. Uh, so we- as, as I say, uh, this woman has worn many different hats, and <laughs> hopefully uh, if she ever has to do this again, she'll wear boots. But in any case, another job you've had is a tad more sophisticated. Uh, you read audiobooks. And by read audiobooks, I don't mean you sit there and read them. You actually say the words. How is that sophisticated? That? Well, of course it is. Wow. You, you know how to read and you know how to speak. <laughs> well, yeah, if only it, those were the only <laughs> requisites. Yeah. Now, if I may, uh, Mm -hmm. when we first talked, you told me there's a racy story behind how this came about. I wonder if I can prod you into uh, relating that story. Yes. Okay. Um, And then you might need to edit some things out, depending on how. Let us find out. (laughs) Okay. So I used to be a singer. I never did anything professionally with my voice, but for much of my adult life, people have always commented on my voice and said, your voice sounds really nice. And and that was always like, oh, thank you. But I didn't know what I was supposed to do with that. I didn't have a direction for it. And so in late 2019, I was home on a day off. I had those then. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was listening to a podcast. I listened to a lot of podcasts. And this one was about um, this podcast selects a different subreddit from the website Reddit and does a deep dive on one subreddit per episode. Huh. And the episode that they were covering on this particular day was called Gone Wild Audio. Uh oh. Yeah. I had never heard of it. I was not a member of Reddit at that point. But uh, Gone Wild Audio is all about basically adult audio, <laughs> like erotic audio, basically. The and sounds that emanate from certain congresses, in other words. Yes, although it can also just be just like sensual reading, like oh. pillow talk sort of thing. Ooh. So it's not like people recording themselves in the bedroom, although oh, it certainly yeah. can include that. <laughs> I listened to the podcast and I found myself just like my mind was blown and I was fascinated and curious and I was so excited by the idea (laughs) that I listened to the podcast. I immediately went to Reddit. I started a new account 
I joined that subreddit. I went through the verification process and I found a script because there are different scripts that you can just find. I recorded my first script and uploaded it that very first day. I quickly discovered that not only was it super fun, I was pretty good at it. (laughs) And I really enjoyed it. It was like the hobby I didn't know I needed. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, And I mean, on a more serious note, it is a really safe and accessible way for someone to just explore themselves as a person, you know, sexually, sure, but it's relatively anonymous and it's fun. So and now, so, now you're, you're, you're doing things that are a little less gone wildy. I am. Yes. Now, for instance, you have, uh, you're just in the process of finishing up a long project. One that has taxed you. I started actually auditioning for audiobooks, like real audiobooks that yeah. are on Audible and iTunes and Amazon. I think I, I did my first audition in February or March of 2021. Uh-huh. And I got my first book offer around that time. And the first book, it was an 18-hour long lesbian romance set in Taipei and... <laughs> It also included quite a few phrases of, um, of both Mandarin, the Chinese dialect, and another Chinese dialect called Hokkien, which I'd oh. never heard of before. And it had a British character in it. And I had <laughs> never spoken Mandarin or tried to do a British accent, nor had I ever recorded an audiobook for 18 hours. <laughs> Yikes. Um, so that was my very first audiobook. And, and you had to you had to research these pronunciations? Yes, wow. yes. Um, and some of them were very difficult to source because uh because one of the Hokkien was not it's not a well-known dialect here. So that was that book. The one I just finished is actually a nonfiction that I did for uh Tantor Media. Tantor Media is a it's a publishing company that does a lot of audiobooks. And to be on their roster is just, well, it's a really big deal for me because it means that they regularly send good books my way <laughs> to narrate. I, I, ha- I may have narrated some books that, well, they might have been self-published. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, the quality varies dramatically. And so to be narrating for Tantor is a really big deal for me. And so the book I just finished is called The Real Valkyrie. And it's a nonfiction look at the history of Viking warrior women. And it included nearly 400 words uh, that I had to figure out how to pronounce correctly and then to anglicize that were in Icelandic, Old Norse, Norwegian, Danish, Swedish, Estonian. What a job. (laughs) It's really fun. Our guest this week, Jessica Marchbank. She's the manager of All Options, a pregnancy resource center on South Walnut Street. What is that website again? www.alloptionsprc.org. She is also an audiobook narrator. She has been a Jesse James uh, birthplace tour guide. She's been an outhouse archaeologist, a privy digger. Can I say that? Privy digger? Yeah, you can call me a privy digger. (laughs) Jessica, thanks so much for being on Big Talk. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. 